Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and thank God for each and every one of you being here. How many of you need healing in your body? Well, it is the will of God to heal you. So lift. I tell you what, if you need healing in your body, just stand up. We'll pray for you right where you are. And believers right around them, just stand up with them and stretch your hands out there. If you can't get to them, if you can get to them, just lay your hands on them. Because let's all say, it is the will of God that we be healed. We know that sometimes there's uh, things involved that we don't particularly want to be involved, but it doesn't matter how God does it, just that he does it, because we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. So, Father, you know what every single person standing needs in their body right now. And I speak healing. You say that believers will lay hands on those that need healing, and they will be healed. And we declare it now in the name of Jesus. We speak healing into every single person here. We speak it, we decree it by the power of the Word of God, and everybody that agreed said, Now, let's make this confession. Sometimes, and especially if you're a visitor to our church, and if you've not been in a church that believes in divine healing... The, the Word of God, in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, God said that, uh, the Word says that, that, that God speaks things that are not as if they were. And whether or not we see them with our natural eyes, what we believe is the will of God, we speak forth and we see with our spiritual eyes. So therefore, when we say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus, we are living the word of God. Even though a report may say different, you continue to speak it and continue to speak it and continue to speak it. And if you continue to speak something often enough and consistently enough, you are eventually going to believe it. And the moment you believe it, you then line up with the will of God for your life. So let's all say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. And while we're at it, let's throw in our mind. And I have a sound mind, and I have the mind of Christ. <clears throat> Amen. Good to see all of you. The house of the Lord, thank God for all of your prayers. I'm feeling absolutely awesome. The doctor did a great job. Uh, he knew the Lord. I'm glad he knew the Lord. You know, I was more concerned about whether or not he knew what he was doing than whether or not he knew the Lord. <laughs> I would rather have a doctor who didn't know God and knew what they were doing than have a doctor who knew God and had only stayed at a Holiday Inn. <laughs> So you get that commercial later, but we're going to be done. But really, everything went extremely well, and I am excited when the doctor told me exactly what was going on in my life and that he could fix it. I was ready to buy into the whole program. So wasn't a good patient, but I did buy into the program. So I've never been a very good patient. Uh, so anyway, in the book of Hebrews, what we're going to be talking about tonight is uh, running your race. And... Life is, uh, is really but a vapor, and you've heard this before, and, and how the days can go by so quickly. And, and you know, there, we are all different ages in here, certainly, and some of you have a lot more years left to serve the Lord. If you study the Bible, you can really find, give my Lord, uh, my Lord, yeah, my, uh, my wife, uh, Freudian slip, give my wife, give my wife a hand for taking care of me. <laughs> Is, is no small job. <laughs> she, did, she did a great job. <clears throat> but uh, but you, you can really define uh, how, how much longer you have to live on this earth based on the Word of God. It's, it's really simple. It's a stretch for some of us uh, from, from a spiritual standpoint, but it is true. The Word of God does reference that we have 120 years to live on this earth. I don't know a whole lot of people living 120 years, uh, but every once in a while you do see somebody I was in the barbershop the other day, and a guy came in. Uh, he used to be the director of Purdue Bands. Uh, he's 102 years old. It, it amazed me. I, uh, Al Wright. Al, is that right? Al Wright? Yeah, Al Wright. And 102 years old, and he's still moving and doing his thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. He's 102 years old, and uh, he's been all over the world, and he's really awesome. But, but really, all you have to do is, is say, well, okay, if... If the Bible says that I have 120 years on this earth, then all you got to do is subtract your age, and that's how many years you have left scripturally. I think most of us would probably say probably 100 years is about an active life. Uh, I don't see many of us you know, going to the NFL at 100 or uh, 98 or something like that, but uh, you can figure it all out for yourself. But, but the important thing is, 
Are you running the race that God has ordained for you? Are you just running with the pack on this earth doing what somebody told you you should do? Uh, get a job, make money, and you know, have two kids and own your home and have two cars and have pretty grass, and that's your life for the rest of your life. And, and someday you'll stand before God, and he'll ask you, what did you do with what I showed you to do with your life? And, and many people today... When I ask them, uh, the older I get, the more blunt I get. I don't know how many, my wife's head is going to fall off right now shaking, yes. Uh, it, it is really true. Uh, but to me, it's like time is short. Time is a vapor. Get with the program. And if you don't know how to get with the program, I'll tell you how. And if you don't want to, that's fine, but you're really not too smart. And uh, so that's probably the bluntness that came. The one, how many visitors we have? Three or four back there in the back? I don't know. Thank you for coming. Don't leave. You can't. The doors are locked anyway. But <laughs> I was visiting with this gentleman the other day, and we were talking about reading. And uh, I was asking him what he wants to do with his life. And, and, and he may hear this tape. Hmm. So I was asking him what he's going to do with his life, and he was telling me a whole bunch of things. And I said, well, what do you think God wants you to do? And he said, ah, I don't really know. I said, well, you, you know, you read the Bible. You like to read books and, you know, encouraging books, things that will really motivate you into the things of God. And he said, no, I don't like to read. And I said, oh, well, you'd probably be stupid the rest of your life. And, uh, and he didn't know me very well, and he just recently met me, and he looked at me as if to say, did you really say what I think you said? And uh, I said, you're wondering if I really said you're going to be stupid the rest of your life. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, you are if you're not going to read. And he said, how do you know? And I said, because you're not going to know anything. And I started asking him about certain things that you and I may take for granted that we know. And he didn't know. And I was helping him prove his stupidity. Now, you might say, how could you do something like that? I really like this guy. I really want to reach out and try to help him. But folks, if you don't tune in to the Word of God and the things of God and, and, and the power of the Holy Spirit, then you'll never know why you're on this earth. Ask your neighbor, why are you on this earth? Why, why are you here and what is God's plan for the rest of your life? And I remember this story, and we're going to get into Hebrews chapter 12 here in just a minute, but I remember reading the life story just recently in my prayer journal. Can I see the hands of all the people who don't have a prayer journal yet and don't plan to get one? Awesome. Can I see the hands of all the people that have a prayer journal? Okay, good. I was going to bring my prayer journals in tonight, and, uh, uh, but, but then I, I didn't want to carry them. <laughs> Pam says I'm limited to 10 pounds. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, when she's not around, I'll find out. But, but anyway, I, I thought, but I can't carry them all in because some years I have two prayer journals. One year I have three that I went through, but uh, they started in 1980. So I have my prayer journals from 1980 up until the present as to what I have felt God has shown me. And uh, I can relate to uh, Oral Roberts, when I used to, I've read almost every book that he has had. I don't know, there may be some that I have missed. Pam had a bunch of them when we first met. And, but, but the one I, I, that really touched my life was, was how he was a stutterer. He had tuberculosis. They gave him up for, uh, to die. He was a basketball player as a young man, a basketball star. He collapsed on the floor. They took him home to die, really. And, that, and then his brother, took him to a tent revival meeting, and uh, he was healed during that course of that meeting. They had a, a revival going on and, and uh, uh, changed his entire life. He thought he would end up being the governor of the state of Oklahoma. That was his goal. It's okay to have a goal. Tell your neighbor, it's okay to have a goal. He was going to grow up to be the governor of the state of Oklahoma. He grew up all right, but he grew up to impact the entire world. And when, you, and when he talks about how in his journal and in his prayer life, he would seek the things of God, and the things that God showed him were so beyond anything he could wrap his mind around. How many of you have some things that you know you've heard, but you just can't see yourself doing it. Can I see your hand? In other words, this just seems so far out there. Well, it will always be beyond your ability alone to do, but not with God's. And so sometimes we just get locked up because of disappointments and frustrations and discouragement and things like this. We, we just stay on a steady path, but it's not the path that God has for us. When you get on the path that God has for you, then you're going to see victory after victory, and you're going to see the blessings of God come upon you and overtake you. But you can't be moved by the world. You can't be moved by 
the setbacks. You can't be moved by the disappointments. You only are moved by what does the Word of God say and what does my prayer journal, which should reflect the Word of God in your life, say, and are you lining up with what God is showing me to do, so, showing you to do. So let's all say it. I believe God has great plans for me for the rest of my life. How many of you believe that? Can I see your hand? Do you really believe that? Let's just say, I really believe that. So then what we do is we become disciplined to read the Word of God, to study the Word of God. It becomes our most important focus with Jesus as the head. We study our prayer journal. What did God tell me to do? What am I doing? Where have I missed it? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to get back on the right road so that every moment of every day my life has meaning? I know why I'm here. I know what I'm called to do. I know I'm going to be okay because God will take care of everything that applies to me and to my family. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 because this is what happens to a lot of people even though we have God's instructions. And the Word of God says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily tries to ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that has, was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus is positioned right now, at the right hand of the throne of God, and he's saying to us that we need to endure and move forth just like Jesus did. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Let us run the race that is set before us with endurance. So let's all say it. I am running running. with with endurance. Now, if we're going to run with endurance, then we need to find out what is endurance and make sure that we're on the right track, running the right race. I'm going to tell you just a brief story here. It really blesses my heart. I have a grandson. We have six. How many grandchildren we have? We got a bunch. 18, 16? There's a bunch of them. Darn expensive at Christmas, I'll tell you that. Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, Anyway, uh, our one grandson, uh, Braden, out in uh, Charlotte, Oklahoma, uh, didn't think he wanted to be involved in track. He, uh, he's always into aeronautics, and he wants to be a pilot, and so uh, <clears throat> all of those types of things. His mom, my, our daughter Deborah, uh, was a, really a track star at Lafayette Jeff, especially in the 100-yard uh, dash, and uh, she really had a great career there. I, I think in the relay team, they still have a record at West Lafayette High School. But anyway, uh, so, so he just walks on one time at a track meet, not walks on, but he goes to the track meet and is watching them, and he starts doing, uh, uh, not pole vault, where you jump, par- pardon? You, no, no, you jump the thing. You run, not the pole vault, but the, you jump the pole. What do you, the high jump. <laughs> the affected my brain all the way from back here. Uh, <laughs> The, the high jump, and he started jumping higher than some of the athletes that were already on the school team as a freshman. And the coach was watching him and said, who is this kid? And I said, he's Braden, he's a freshman. And he said, he's jumping higher than the guys that are on the track team. And so they kind of recruited him. He didn't know whether he wanted to do it or not, and then he did. And, and, and everything worked out pretty well, but it wasn't his sport. It wasn't his race. It wasn't his event because he didn't care for it. And so one time they were watching him uh, run the race out there. And, and I'm telling you this because you're going to be noticed by God. Tell your neighbor you're being noticed. <clears throat> and, and, and so he, he was out there running on the track, and they saw him. And again, it was a similar situation. He said, who is that kid? He is fast. He's beating everybody. So that's that freshman. Well, now he's become a sophomore. And so they, they put him in a, a 400. I don't know everything about the 400, but he's running a 400. He's beaten everybody in the whole place, and he ends up going to the Nationals as a sophomore and as a junior. And in the Nationals in New York, 
He finished, I don't know, I think it was 10th or 12th in the nation with his time of, I think it was 10 seconds, but I'm not sure about the time. But it was really high, and I guess in track, once you get on a computer-generated thing, all of the track coaches in America see it, and it's not so much going to see the athlete, although that's important, but you're just pulling up times. How fast can this kid run? What's his potential? How young is he? How much time does he have to knock off that time when he gets to it? So the, this national meet, and my daughter and, 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 and uh, uh, Braden are there at the end, and he's just laying in the grass, and this guy walks up to my daughter and introduces himself. He's the assistant tracks coach of West Point, and says, we're really interested in your son. Is it okay if I talk to him? Now, now Braden has been a National Air Guard or something. I forget what they call it now. And he's really into the military. And uh, so he, he, she said he jumped up, snapped to attention. Yes, sir, what do you want to know? And so he started talking to him and, and said, would you be interested in having a scholarship to West Point. What Deb said, I just want to shout, yes, <laughs> we'll take it tomorrow. And uh, so he said, may I talk to your son and may we, may we pursue this? He said, his track time is really excellent for only a junior, and I've been watching him. He has so much more to give. That's what caught my attention. He has so much more to give. Everybody say this, I have so much more to give. Tell your neighbor, you have so much more to give. You have so much more to give. And if you're not on the sideline licking your wounds, discouraged, you've got so much more to give for what God's called you to do. So Braden is just eating it all up now. West Point, flying jets, all this kind of stuff. Doesn't really tie in with West Point so much. That would be the Air Force Academy, but that's what he really sees himself doing. <clears throat> so then the guy says, now I don't know if you know this or not, what a scholarship full ride at West Point is but it is worth an awful lot of money. I just want to make sure I have your permission to contact him. He got into the event that apparently for this time of his life is something that he is called to do with the passion. He didn't even want to participate in track. Now he can't wait to run the 400 because he knows his time is getting better and better and better and better. You are getting better and better and better and better. And God is equipping you to do what you think is impossible. Tell your neighbor, you can do the impossible. I think about when I read this story, we're going to go into Hebrews chapter 3 and 12, verse 3 in just a moment, but uh, of, of uh, uh, Billy Joe Doherty. And, and, and Pastor Billy Joe was a, a basketball star, a football star at uh, Magnolia High School in Magnolia, Arkansas. And he got a scholarship, full ride scholarship, football scholarship to the university there, the small college near our Magnolia. And uh, he was. He was a football star in his freshman year, I think, maybe his sophomore year. He was just standing there uh, one day after practice walking across the football field. And, and he just was just kind of daydreaming, and it was as if he saw a vision of his entire life pass before him. And it was as if God said, you can have what you have right now, Billy Joe. You can have all of this right now, and someday your life on this earth will be over. Or you can have what I have for you. If you want what I have for you, I'm going to open the door, and I'm paraphrasing all of this now, or if you want to continue to do what you want to do. And he said, no, I want what you have. And God said, I want you to go to Oral Roberts University. Now, some of this story I may have a little disjointed because I haven't read it for a while. And he knew about Oral Roberts University, but he didn't know how it was going to work out because ORU is an extremely expensive college, a Christian charismatic school. And, and, and when he did it, God opened the door for him to work in a dormitory washing athletic gear for all of the athletes, and that that was his job, and that's how he got money. And there were times when I'm sure he wondered, I was on a full-ride scholarship Everybody on the campus knew me. Now I'm washing all of the athletes' clothes, and I'm barely making a living. He had enough money to go to Oral Roberts University for one semester. But he met a friend during that period of time. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's always a friend somewhere. He met a friend, and this friend <clears throat> knew him 
from what he did there in that laundry. And uh, this friend was promoted to some type of a level over, um, what they call them, dorm chaplains, I think, dorm chaplains, and, uh, and they were getting ready for the next school session, and they needed dorm chaplains. And Billy Joe Doherty heard about it, and he heard about uh, the, the, how it worked, that you got a full-ride scholarship to Oral Roberts University if you were a dorm chaplain. And so he put his name down. This group of people came together, and everyone was sitting there, and they say, hey, we don't know anybody on this list. We need to pick somebody to be the dorm chaplain here. And there was one man in that meeting on that group that had met Billy Joe, this man, and liked him. And he said, well, I don't know anybody on there except one, Billy Joe Doherty, and he is really a neat guy. Why don't we let him be the dorm chaplain? They made him the dorm chaplain, and it took care of all of his time at Oral Roberts University. He thought he was going to be a teacher and possibly a basketball coach. Ask your neighbor, what do you, thought, what do you think you're going to be? You heard the story of the father. I, I th I'm sure I've told this story over the years. But the father was with his little five-year-old boy, and the dad said, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, daddy, I don't know. What are you going to be when you grow up? <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? That would be a good one for all of us, wouldn't it? What are you going to be? But he had a class at Oral Roberts University. And in this class at Oral Roberts University, see, everything that you're doing has a tangent point with Almighty God that will open the door to the next level. But if you won't go through it, God's not going to give you another door. It's not like that show on TV. What's that show, that old show? Let's make a deal. Doors open. Dumbest show I've ever seen. But, you know, I'm sorry if that's your favorite show. I'm sorry. Somebody just loved that show. I love that show. I used to not like it, but now I love that show. <laughs> the only thing I love more is... Uh, Hallmark love shores. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, I lost my whole train of thought. I really did. It's the, it's the pain. No, I don't have any pain. The what? The doors. Yeah, it's going to open the door. Oh, so in this class. So if he hadn't, if 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 he hadn't left the football field to wash the clothes, to do what needed to be done. He would have never got to be the dorm. He would have never got to take the classes that he took. And now he's in a class, and the professor says, I have an assignment for you. Here's the assignment. What would you do with the rest of your life if you could do anything? Money's no object. Nothing. I want you to write it all down. What would you do? He wrote down that he would have a church, he'd have a Christian school, and he'd impact the world, and wrote down how he did it. Had no concept and no idea that it was something he would do he thought it was the class assignment, but God had him on an assignment. Everybody say, God has me on an assignment. And he ended up fulfilling that class project, putting missionaries on every continent in the world, having a Christian school that impacted the world, and a Bible school, exactly what that class project was that he put down, that God had put in his heart, and that he didn't even realize it. You have things in your heart that God has put there, and you've let go of them. Now, I may be wrong about all of you, but I am telling you from my own personal life, there are things I've heard, I've put in my prayer journal, I've let go of, I've moved on down the line because I got busy, I was more concerned about being concerned about something else that I didn't need to be concerned about, that I wasn't concerned about the most important thing that I should have been concerned about, and that was what is God saying, not just what everybody else thinks. When you get to that point in your life, you're just going around in circles. You're not enjoying life. You're enduring life. But when you're enjoying life and you're pursuing what God put in your heart, you don't care what people think. You only care what God thinks. And if God wants me to tell this little boy, look, if you're not going to learn to read, you're going to be stupid the rest of your life. Stupid is as stupid does because I saw Forrest Gump. Now, <laughs> now, you might say, well, how can you be that cruel? If somebody doesn't, uh, isn't a good reader, teach them how to read. Take them to school. Anybody can be a reader. Anybody can read. Anybody can learn. Anybody can have a desire to read a book. But if you have no desire to learn, then you're not going to grow. And you've got to grow to learn and learn to grow. And that's where we are in our life. And when you get to that point, God is always going to, we call it stretching, but God is always going to move you beyond your ability to where he wants you to go for the next step 
of your life. He's not going to leave you where you are. And this is what happens to a lot of people. They get on this treadmill. I, I go to work, I come home, I cut the grass, I make the dishes, I wash the clothes, I do this, I get up and I do it again, I do it seven days a week, and then I do it seven more days a week, and then I do it, and I do it, and I do it, and I do it, and I do it. And nobody's having fun with life. Nobody's enjoying the next moment that God has for you to move into. When Oral Roberts finally realized that he was called in, into full-time ministry, he decided to go to Enid, Oklahoma, <clears throat> and start a church. When he started his church in Enid, Oklahoma, it didn't grow. And the, and the church was very small and stayed very small his whole time there. But God spoke to him during that period of time. God was watching him to determine, are you going to do what I've called you to do? And God spoke to him and corrected him while he was in motion. Everybody say, in motion. In motion. They say that, I don't know anything about sailing, but they say that it's very easy to correct a moving sailing ship with the rudder very easily because it's moving and it's easy to adjust. But one that's moored in the harbor, doesn't matter how much correction you put, you don't change much at all. It's got to be moving to correct the direction. Otherwise, if it's standing still, it's not going to get where it's directed to go. He finally gave his heart to the Lord that whatever you want me to do, and I realize now it's not what I'm doing. Sometimes one of the best things that can happen to all of us is to realize what I'm doing is not what I'm called to do. Because if you don't come to that realization, you're going to latch on to your job, you're going to latch on to your paycheck, you're going to latch on to your benefits, you're going to latch on to your retirement program, you're going to latch on to 401k, and that's going to be your life. And it's a very dead, dull life. Oral Roberts realized that God had more for him, and he started to become an evangelist, and, and, and the anointing of God was upon him, and he traveled all over the world. But God still wasn't through with him, and he said, now I want you to build me a university to take the Holy Spirit around the world where my light is dim. And this is Oral's response. I can tell you my response in my prayer journals is, God, are you sure this is you? Because I don't have any idea how to. I have this written down on a page somewhere in one of my prayer journals. God, I don't know how to do that. And this is exactly what I heard as soon as I said it. I do. Just listen to me. Everybody say, God knows how to do it. And he can show us how to do it. But we have a tendency to only want to do what we know to do. Pastor Billy Joe used to say this a lot out there in Tulsa. Beware of the gifting that God has given you. Because you'll try to stay in your gifting. And the reason is because you're comfortable. You know you can do it. And he used to give warnings to, Billy jo or to uh, his wife Sharon and to his worship leader David Grothy. He said, you guys be careful of the passion and all you have for leading worship because you're anointed to do that. But don't let that thing be the thing that propels you. It's the leading of the Holy Spirit for the next session in your life, not the passion for the anointing upon you, on you that God puts there to do what God wants to be done. And so <clears throat> Oral Roberts then says, I don't know how to do that. And God told him to walk the land and pray. Walk the land and pray in the Holy Spirit. Walk the land and pray in the Holy Spirit. Walk the land and pray in the Holy Spirit. And if any of you have ever been to Oral Roberts University, it still looks like a futuristic university. It is a university that was built, I believe, in the initial stages in 1964. Unbelievable what that university looks like. Unbelievable what it, was, what it, uh, what it has accomplished. And when, when, when Oral got that vision, and he went to the people who owned the land and, and, and said, I, 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 I'm interested in your property. And he said, we're never going to sell it. We don't, want to, we don't want to sell it. We're going to keep it in the family. And besides that, we don't want to sell it to you because we don't like you. And, and that, was his re, it, that was his first step in doing what he felt like God showed him to do. But as a couple of years went by, he just kept it on the back burner, knew that if it was God, it was going to come to pass. That family called him and said, we need to sell the land now, and we'll sell it to you at this price. It was not that price. It was a much lower price that he eventually bought all that land that he was told that you can't have that land. You've been told things that you can't do certain things that you know God has called you to do. God will take care of every single need that you have if you'll not focus upon the rejection along the way. A lot of people have a tendency to, to focus. I don't know what this is about the human spirit, but I know it's true. I observe it in people all the time. 
My wife says this about me. Of course, I'll ask her sometimes. I say, you think I'm just getting a little bit blunt and short with people? She says, oh, there's no question, sweetheart. You really are. Yeah. And, and I say, well, I don't really care. I just want to know if you've noticed it. <laughs> but, but, but it's like, snap out of it. We're in the fourth quarter of the game, and God needs you. Don't be licking on the, licking on the bench. Yeah. Don't be sitting on the bench licking your wounds. <laughs> I'll get it together in a minute. So anyway, but, but, but there's something about the human nature of people that when you meet them, how you doing? Oh, things are really bad today. Well, tell me about it. Is anything going good? Oh, no, not today. There's always something going good. It's what you focus upon as to how your day is going to be. Every day is destined for you to be a great day. You mean I'll never be disappointed? Oh, you'd be disappointed. There's some days you'll feel discouraged. Get rid of it. Don't, don't look at it and don't. Focus upon them. It is because we don't follow the instruction manual that we become discouraged. But if we follow the instruction manual, you'll never be discouraged. Now, all of us have been discouraged at one time or another. But it's only because we had a lapse in our spiritual connection to do what God has shown us to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. Here's what it says. If we are going to be totally focused upon God, totally focused upon Jesus, the Son of God, the author and the finisher of our faith, and that we're going to endure and the race that is set before, running the race with endurance, we're going to get rid of every weight and every sin. And then it says, consider Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Because if you don't, you will become weary and you will become discouraged in your soul. Your spirit man may be raring to go, but your soul can become discouraged. Things aren't going the way I think they should. The kids aren't acting the way they, they, the, I think they should. But if we're more concerned about running our race and being who we're called to be, and we're running our event, and we're running it to the fullest of our ability. And we're on the track that we're supposed to be on. And we got somebody over here who says, I don't want to get down that track. I don't want to go down that track. But it's fine. You leave them behind, but you tell them where you're going to be when they want to get their act right. Does that make sense? I just had someone the other day. And I was talking to him, and I said, look, I, the, where you're going and the things you're, going to do, you, you're doing, I, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. But I'll tell you this, if you ever need me, I'm a phone call away. But I'm not going where you're going. But I will help you go where I'm going if you call me. But if you never call me, the gap between us is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Not our relationship, that's established. But our fellowship will get less and less and less because this train is moving on. And it's going from glory to glory. And if you want on board, nothing would bless me more. But if you want to stay where you are, go for it. But it's not going to affect me. That sounds hard. That sounds cold. That sounds callous. But I believe that is God for you to move on with what God's called you to do. Because if you don't, you'll be looking backward. You'll be licking your wounds. You'll be discouraged. Well, this kid isn't doing this. This grandkid isn't doing that. This person's not doing this. This person disappointed me. This person had... And you'll be starting to look at all the things that are going wrong instead of all the things that are going right. We are called to go from glory to glory, and we're called to attract a big crowd. Tell your neighbor, I'm called to attract a big crowd. We're going to take them all with us. But every once in a while, somebody says, I'm not going where you're going. And say, go for it. Stupid is as stupid does. I got this boy. <laughs> I, tell you, I really tell you what. How many of you know when you're around somebody that they like you, but they don't necessarily like everything you say, but you can tell they're drawn to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This old boy is hook, line, and sinker toward me. I know it's the spirit of God in me, but I know he just can't wait to talk to me. And I'm reeling him, and I'm reeling him, and I'm reeling him, and I'm reeling him, and I'm reeling him. And he keeps coming back for more, and for more, and for more, and for more. I believe the kid is probably called of God. I really do. And I believe God has put us together. If I'm not out there licking my wounds, I can input into his life. But if I'm licking my wounds, it's like, 
go away, not again. And see, all of us are like that. You have a mission field. Tell your neighbor, you have a mission field. You have a mission field. You are a mission field, and you have a mission field. Now, the word undivided, excuse me, <clears throat> the word looking, it says looking unto Jesus, consider Jesus, uh, looking unto Jesus. It says consider him who endured the cross. And then in some of your Bibles, it says looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm sorry. Here, here's the word I wanted to give you. For, uh, the definition up there of looking or being focused upon Jesus, and it's looking away from all distractions in order to fix your attention on one thing. Some people are so anxious and worried and fearful that they're always thinking about things that aren't right instead of enjoying the moment of life and what God has for us. In other words, your attraction is not going to be distracted by things that aren't going right. There's always things that aren't going right, but there's always things that are going right, and where we center our attraction is going to be determined by what we're going to accomplish. I want to share this story out of a magazine. If you were going to share it Sunday, honey, I'm sorry, I'm, you can still share it, but, but that magazine you gave me by Kenneth Copeland, uh, but here, this is just uh, as I was praying today about distractions that, that people have. Uh, uh, people are distractions. Yourself, you become a distraction. Fear, doubt, unbelief, pride, the snare of man, self-seeking. Uh, what if I fail? What if this happens? What if somebody doesn't like me? All these things are, are just distractions in life. I don't know how many of you know who this is, but Jeremy Pearson, is that right? Jeremy Pearson, Kenneth Copeland's grandson, has been in ministry now for... I don't know how many years, I think eight years on his own, but, uh, but true to probably what I would think Kenneth, Hagen, or Kenneth Copeland would be, he's let his grandson you know, go his own way and, and have his own ministry and not really grease the skids for him, but let him learn. And, uh, but, but anyway, a few years ago, I think it was, a couple years ago it was, <clears throat> Kenneth Copeland went to Jeremy, who's a real young guy, and said, I, I want you as part of the Copeland ministry uh, on the Copeland Network uh, voice, BOV. Okay, and, and, and that I want you on that network, and uh, we're going to give you airtime. And he said, what, a, what, what an answer to anybody's dream to be on the network that is influencing the entire world and have your own show. And he said, he told me, you know, to get your act together and get a program and get ready to go. So one month went by, and then two months went by, and then three months went by, and then four months went by. He said, finally, almost eight months, nine months went by and hadn't done anything with it. It was so far beyond him. He said, I've never done anything like that. Didn't know how to put together a production, how to put together a crew. And finally, God spoke to me and said, I opened the door for you, and all you're doing is sitting there. How many times have we had an, an open door for us, and all we've done is sit there and sit there? And uh, Pam was telling me the other day about s s different people and that, you know, you have to give some people notice and you have to do this and you have to do that. You don't have to give anybody notice. I, <laughs> I really don't. If, if God has called you, if God has called you, the issue is settled. It, it, let's all say, if God has called me, the notice is done. And I'll never forget this time in my life. It scared the crap out of me. But I was, uh, we were on staff at Victory. <laughs> And, I, and, and my, my job is I'm, I'm a gopher for Billy Joe. I know it, and I love my job. And I had never ministered, never done much of anything. I'd never done anything in the pulpit. I was involved with Victory Bible Institute. And we're sitting, and I'll never forget it, Christ Chapel, sitting in the second row. And, and the worship is going on, and Billy Joe's up front, and I'm behind him. And just like here sometimes, I'll need something, and one of the ushers will see me look around, and they'll come down, and they do a great job, by the way. And, and so I'm just there, and, Billy, and we're right behind Billy Joe, and he, he leans back like this. He said, Bill? I said, yes. He said, did you, LeMay, call you this morning about communion? And we were doing communion right out of worship. I said, No. He's going back to worship the Lord, and he said, Did, she didn't call you and tell you to do communion? No. Are you prepared to do communion? No. <laughs> Singing along with the Lord and all. I really knew in my spirit where this was going. All of a sudden, he's back in. 
how long does it take you to get prepared? I knew what that meant. I'm prepared. Good. Take it out of worship. I can't tell you the exact words I thought. It was like, what do we do? What is the procedure? I know I take the microphone. I got the juice and I got the bread. How do you do all that? I remember walking up there. I was scared. I really was. But you can perform scared. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can perform scared. If you pass out up here someday and we tell you to do something, we'll revive you. It won't be a problem. And I remember walking up there. I don't know what I said, but I do remember this. I remember that he always prayed before we did communion. And if you didn't know Jesus. And I remember just up there with my eyes closed, partially because I was afraid, partially because I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, God, if there's anybody here. And I did it. I opened my eyes. I saw hands all over the place. Wow. This is easier than I thought. <laughs> and I prayed for the people. And then as soon as I got finished, I remember walking back. And I felt like the Lord said, that was me, not you. But if you'll yield to me, I'll always be there. And I'll always flow through you. Tell your neighbor, God will always flow through you. If you will allow God, otherwise, what, here's what happens. This is what happens with your life. God, I can handle it now. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I know I have eternity. I can make my own decision. Thank you. Now, we don't consciously do that. But we do that when we say, oh, I could never do that. When people say that, I just want to smack them right up the side of the head. Isn't that a loving, kind, benevolent pastor? Thank you for all you visitors that are here for our one service. You can do anything God wants you to do. Let's not say, I can do all things. That would make a good scripture, wouldn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so when you get to that point in your life, every day is going to be a new, exciting day for you to fulfill God's plan. Now, we've got to move on here because we're running out of time. But 1 Corinthians 15, 57, 58, my scripture for this year, I've been quoting this scripture every day of every year, I think. I could be wrong. I could have missed a date. But it says, thanks be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I am steadfast. I am immovable. I am always abounding in the work of the Lord. They say you'll have pain after you have this surgery. They don't know who I am. I'm not going to have any pain. Crap, did I have pain? It was pain. It was pain. It was pain. And I say, whoa, they know what they're talking about. But I refuse to accept this pain. I refuse to accept this pain. Give me that thing up there and let me swallow it. Oh, I'm a lot easier now. <laughs> Besides that, it made me happy. But we are. Let's all say it. We are. <laughs> I'm not hooked, but I can understand it. <laughs> so let's all say it. I am steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I'm not losing my focus. I'm going to focus on what I believe, and I believe what God said. And God said, I'm his man to do what he said I can do. And if he said I can do it, the issue is settled. End of story. You can too. I don't want to go where you're going. No problem. You won't go. But when you want to go, my boat is ready. You can jump on board, and we're going to go together from glory to glory. Can we say amen to that? Now, God's got a plan for each and every one of us, and I want to do this real quickly here. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2. We have to maintain an, a balance in our life, I believe, of understanding that grace and unmerited favor does not mean you can do whatever you want to do. You've got to obey God to be blessed by God. And to be a good parent, you've got to get your children to learn obedience. And if you don't teach your children obedience, you're not, they're not going to be obedient. And if you're not obedient, they don't have a good role model. One of the biggest problems we have in the world today... In, in the body of Christ is a lack of discipline. 
a lack of obedience that if God tells me to do something, it's not a suggestion. It is an order from God because he knows the ramification that will come if I do it and the victory that I'll have. And he also knows that if I don't do it, I open the door to the devil and he'll come in to kill, steal, and to destroy and do what he does best. And he does it well. Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 and 2 says, it will come to pass for each and every one of us that if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to do carefully all of His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all of the nations of the earth, and the blessings of God will come upon you. They will overtake you. Why? Because God loves you? He does love you. God, because you walk by faith? Yeah, it's really important to walk by faith. Why will he do all this? He'll do it because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Obeying is better than sacrifice. Obeying is easy. Obeying is just say, yes, sir, that's what you've called me to do. I'm going to do it. When you know you've missed God, you say, God, I'm sorry, I made a mistake today, but tomorrow I'm going to do better. I'm going to do it the way you told me to do it because your way now, this sounds stupid to even have to say, your way is better than my way. <laughs> Let's all say it. God's way, God's way is a better way. Jeremiah, now he loves you. The word, the word blessing in there means to be happy, to be prosperous, to be successful, and to be content. So when you look at that scripture that we just read, can we back up just for a moment? You may or may not have this up there, but it's such a power. You, you, I don't think you do have it. Deuteronomy 28, uh, verse 1, when it's talking about blessing, the word blessing means to be happy, to be prosperous, to be successful, and to be content. Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the plans that I have for your life, the plans and purposes for your life. That word means I know the intention and the plan and the purpose that I have. In other words, that word thought, when you look that up in the Greek, I know the intention and the plan and the purpose that I have thought before you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. Now, all of this boils down, I think, to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, You and I are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, pure, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Everybody say reasonable service. Reasonable service. I'm reading a book by our Secretary of Defense. I just got it yesterday. Just so excited about it. Uh, it's, the language is raw. So if any of you want to buy this book, do so on caution from your pastor. Uh, it is a Marine Corps language. Uh, it is written by uh, Secretary of Defense General Mad Dog Mattis, and uh, it's his life career of the Marine Corps and the importance of discipline and the importance of obeying command. And that once you, you if, if everybody's in unity, obeying a command, if you go the wrong direction, it's easy to correct it. But when you got everybody out there with all of their opinions and all of their ideas, it's, 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 it's just like hurting cats, you know, it's just, it doesn't work. But, but, but when you really get that, and, and, and he's talking about how important it is, the esprit de corps, the, book, the title of the book is No Better Friend, No Worse Enemy. And uh, when he got ready, Ready to go into. I can't use the exact word, so I'm trying to clean it up. He 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 called the Saddam Hussein's general. They were able to get through and on the internet or somehow to the general himself, and he told him, "I, I want to meet you in one month at the border between Iraq and Kuwait, and I want you to surrender. And if you'll surrender." Uh, we'll take care of all your troops. We'll treat them well. Nobody has to be killed. But if you don't surrender, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> he said, the general said, you can't do that. He says, yes, I am. I'm going to kill all of you. But if you'll surrender, none of you have to die. And so when the war started, the, guy, the, the general finally said, oh, well, I'm not surrendering. When the war started, we went in, and there's a bunch of deaths piling up on the Iraqi side. The, the Iraqi general called. General Mantog Madison, he said, does that offer still stand? <laughs> he says, yes, you blankety-blank-blank. Blank. You wouldn't have had to have lost so many of your good men if you'd taken me up on the offer in the first place. I'll be there in 24 hours. And that's when part of the surrender began to take place. Folks, discipline is something that is missing in all of our lives, including mine. But all of us can do a better job 
if we'll yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So let's just say, I can do a better job. Now, it says that if we'll do that, that we'll not be conformed. It goes on in verse number two and says that, that don't be conformed to this world. See, the world is trying to conform you in their image. Oh, don't get your hopes up. That's exactly opposite of faith. Faith is getting your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Who, what planet did you come from? You, 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 faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it says, it says don't, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. When I'm around people whose mind is not renewed, it's just like, it's, it's like 3D to me. It's like, I know I'm giving away my, I, I, I analyze people all the time. It's just like, your mind is not renewed. Who can I look at that won't, I look at Larry, Larry, I look at Larry. <laughs> uh, my, you know, why are you acting so screwed up? I have no idea. I do. Your mind is mush. It's not renewed. You're talking like a dumbbell. You're talking like you don't know the word of God. Well, I, you don't know what's happened to me. I know a truck ran over you. Now get up because the truck is gone. It's, it's down the road, and it's already run over you. Now get up and get on with the rest of your life. Folks, who's responsible for renewing your mind? It's really weak, so I'm going to do it one more time. Who's responsible for renewing your mind? Your mind is renewed based on your focus. If your focus is reading the right book, the book, the Bible, and your prayer journal, and a great motivational book, your mind is renewed. Your mind will never be renewed by television. Your mind will never be renewed by technology. Your mind will never be renewed by anything other than the things of God that want to propel you to the next dimension of your life. So, if you do that. Now, okay, we're going to close with one more scripture that I have for you, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and then be back here Sunday because my darling wife has a great word for you. I snuck in here Sunday and heard her word back in her office. I felt a little bit uh, sacrilegious back there with a cup of coffee and a donut. I listened to you preach, but I was going to go for it, girl. I was really there for you. Now, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, oh, wait, 1 Corinthians 9, I went the wrong way. They moved 1 Corinthians chapter 9 on my book. Here it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know, let's all say, I am running a race. Tell your neighbor, you are running a race. Do you, know, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but, for, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here's what I want to leave you with today. What is it that you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing? And why are you not doing it? What is it that you're supposed to be doing and you're not doing? Any commander in the field would say, I want to promote you. And I'm going to promote you based on whether or not you're doing what I've shown you to do. Well, why should I have to do everything you tell me to do just to be promoted? It's the way it works in the kingdom of God. For the person who got five talents, he got five more because he did what God said. To the person who got one talent, he, got, he doubled his one talent because he did what God said. I think I said it all wrong. Yeah. Who got the talent, the one talent? The guy with the one talent dug the hole. Yeah, yeah the guy with the one talent dug the hole and said, I, I don't want to do with this. I'm just going to hide it here, and when he comes back, I'll figure it all out. He got chastised. Everybody else got doubled the return. They, they, they got totally blessed. Don't take your talent and dig a hole and put it in it, but let God use you and say, it's not about me. Let's just say, it's not about me. It's all about him. In the beginning, it was all about you. You were lost and on your way to hell. He came and rescued you. Now it's all about him. 
Let's all stand. Now it's all about him. What do you got for me today? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? How, what's the next stage? God, I failed today. Yeah, I know. I watched. But you're going to learn from it. We're going to turn that around, use it for good, and going to bless you. What would you do? What would you do? Think about this, just, just as your own assignment. What would you do with the rest of your life if you knew you couldn't fail and you knew you had all the money you needed to do it? What would you do with the rest of your life? And what would glorify God in that? You sit down with God and you say, God, what will you do with me for the rest of my life? What do you want to do? And I just have page after page after page. And I can't wrap my mind around it, even for some of it to this day. My mind can't wrap around it. My spirit can. I know my spirit can. But my mind keeps trying to figure it out. Well, how could I do that? Or how could I do this? Not only will God tell you what to do with the rest of your life, God will show you how to do it. And he'll show you that all of the blessings will come upon you and overtake you. The blessings that came upon people like Orr Roberts and Kenneth Hagin, they stepped out there and Kenneth Copeland, and they did what God showed them to do. And the tidal wave of blessings just came in and came in. They told Billy Joe, you can't do what you're going to do. You can't build without going into debt. He built without going into debt, and he did it during a recession. He said, you can't do that. You can't sell this property. Nobody want to buy this dealership. Nobody want to buy this old-looking church that looks like a car dealership that was converted. And God sent Sam Walton down the street and said, give them $100,000 more than they're asking so they can be out of debt and have money in the bank. In one moment's time, just like that. If you're in debt, God will get you out of debt immediately. If you have problems in your life right now, God will take care of every single one of those problems. And the answer is not the problem. The answer is you position yourself where God wants you to be for the next season of your life. God's got great things in store. Nothing can withstand the power of God and the plan of God if a believer will line up with it. You are destined by God to go from glory to glory. Father, I thank you for every person that's here today. I thank you, Lord, that there's a plan and a purpose for their life. And I thank you that the most important thing is that we have the assurance of our eternal life with you. And that comes through your son, Jesus. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the moment to do that. If you're here and you're like a prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, you know you've drifted away from God. Don't let another moment go by. Come back to God. He loves you. And if you're here and you say, Pastor, you have described me, I know my life is not right with God. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand in the air and we're going to pray for you. Yes, I see your hand over here. Yes, over here. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand here. All the way back there in the back, I see your hands. Are there others before we pray? All of you who lifted your hands, come quickly to the altar. Let's give them a hand as they come. All the way over here, this section, couple back there in the back, all the way back there in the back section. Yeah, keep it up. Give them a hand as they come. <clears throat> right there in this third row, ushers, help us out. Right there. Yeah, one or two more coming here. Yeah, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. This is what life and God's track is all about, and we are glad that you are here. Set your hand out toward these, this altar. God has a great plan for each and every one of you. And this is a life of new beginning and a day of new beginning. So let's all pray this prayer together right now. We're going to join you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe you died for my sins. I've sinned, I've made mistakes. But today I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my heart and take control of my life. The true desire of my heart is to serve you and to be all that you would call me to be. Now, Father, I pray for these at this altar. Lord, I pray for the plan, for the purpose that you have for their life. Lord, I pray for the disappointments to be taken away. Lord, I pray for your abundance to come upon them and overtake them. I pray that in the still of night, Lord, that they'll hear your voice and that you'll show them the plan, the purpose for their life. Thank 
Kumbrindi ata pasakba, itita sa kapuriti kura, nobaranda adita sada, zelaba kovarash. Called appointed, set apart for my glory, that the things that you had in your heart as a young girl are still there. He's never left you, He's there for you waiting with his arms open for you to restore everything. Everything that has been taken from you. Some of you from the congregation come down here and just love on these at the altar and pray for them right now. Come on down here. Father, I thank you that as we leave here today, we leave here with the plan and the purpose that you have for us to bring glory to you through your son Jesus and we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus name and everybody said I want us all to make this confession right now I am on this earth by divine appointment and on an assignment from God to fulfill for the rest of my days on this earth I know God has, a plan. God has a plan. And that plan, and that plan will bring glory, to God bring glory to God and save lives of people. Therefore, here I am, God. Use me mightily as you see fit. Let's give the Lord a hand. Go and be blessed. Sunday, Pastor Pam. Awesome word coming. <laughs>